from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who received a faith equal to ours through the justice of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May you have more and more grace and peace through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. Through his honor and glory, he has given us his precious and wonderful promises that you may share the divine nature and escape from the world's immorality um, that sinful craving produces. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith and to moral excellence knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control endurance and to endurance godliness and to godliness affection for others and to affection for others love. If all these are yours and they are growing in you, they'll keep you from becoming inactive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these things is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they were cleansed from their past sins. This is God's word for God's people. So the last couple months we've been exploring the ways the Spirit grows fruit in us. For some of us, these Sundays have been a drastic reimagining of some never ripe fruit in their lives and for others maybe just a gentle reminder of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, what they are and what they can be in real time and real places. So today we wrap up with self-control and I'll tell you I struggled this week trying to figure out what to say about this fruit. So it's tempting to interpret it pretty straightforward, in which case this would be a pretty short sermon. One of my friends in college used to do this like recurring gag, and it was never not funny. Uh, Whatever we were talking about, um, he would take whatever activity was at hand, and he'd say, you know what the Bible says about blank, eating pizza, uh, going to the movies, whatever. You know what the Bible says about blank? Don't is what he would say. And so it's tempting to make a sermon about self-control, that sort of sermon. But this is the way of the Stoics and of self-denial. Following Jesus is different than becoming a good Stoic. Maybe growing in self-control is about a little more. Peter, of all people, and we'll get into that in a little bit, Peter starts his second letter talking to sisters and brothers, quote, in the faith, wishing them, quote, more and more grace and peace through the knowledge of our God and Lord Jesus. And he reminds them that God has already given them and us everything we need for life and godliness. This is a picture of abundance. We don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to add anything. We already have the ingredients. We have everything we need to, he says, share the divine image. In other words, our lives are like a, like a still developing Polaroid picture of Jesus in our places. 
Uh, uh, earlier in this series, we talked about how Dallas Willard um, defines this process of becoming more and more like Christ, this discipleship, um, as uh, trying to imagine and trying to live out what it would be like uh, if Jesus were you and me, if Jesus had our lives. And so um, I, I think with those words from Dallas Willard, we could replace like the really common WWJD bracelet with something maybe far less catchy, the WWJBIHWY bracelet. The who would Jesus be if he were you? And then, so Peter starts to talk about this, and then he sets off a chain of how this might work, how we might become more like Jesus, how we might share this divine image, this imago Dei, the image of God. And it feels a little bit like a spiral when he's doing this. Here's what I mean by that. Like, maybe it's appropriate that it's a spiral, because maybe life sometimes feels a little like a spiral. Sometimes it can feel monotonous, like you're just going around in circles. You don't, like, feel that you're gaining any elevation. You're just, like, still on this road forever. <laughs> you see that landmark over and over again. There was a race by the front door today, and at least road races are great because the scenery changes. When you run the track at the Y, you're just going in loops, right? And so spirals can feel that way sometimes, boring and monotonous. And, but sometimes spirals can feel disoriented, disorienting. Like every time you round a corner, you lose sight of where you have been and where you're going. You just kind of see exactly what's in front of you. And the spirals are great, and especially like spiral staircases are great, because they, the, they are key to gaining ground and progressing, like the inclines are kind of sneaky. I remember as a kid, growing up by the beach, we would go to the lighthouse, and some folks have done this in Duke Chapel, you can go up the spiral staircase stairs and it's really tight, and you're constantly gaining ground, and you're moving kind of further up and further in. You're traveling a lot of distance without going very far. Maybe that also feels like an analogy for life. But, this is one way in which the life with God is inexhaustible, this further up and further in. It's always the way. It's a way that leads to intimacy. It's a way that leads to formation and growth. It's how we become more like Jesus on this spiral, closer and closer to God. And so Peter sets off this chain of virtue. And, and Justin, I think there's a slide with that verse. And it's talking about adding moral excellence to your faith and, and what you keep adding along the road. To, to moral excellence, you add knowledge, and to that you add self-control, and to that you add endurance, and to that you add godliness, and to that you add affection for others, and to that you add love. The faith, though, is at the roots of all of this kind of growth and progression. Faith is, a, is always a received faith. It's always a gift. We don't start out with strong faith muscles. Uh, that was one of the fruits earlier in the series, is this faith that is predicated on God's immense faithfulness, Jesus' fidelity, and our growing trust in the Spirit. And that is the, the root system that digs deep and reaches far down to nourish us and to hold us. Faith is the root when we were talking about this passage at our liturgy planning meeting, 
Katie mentioned how um, when she propagates plants, it's a very planty family. Steve is always going out in waders around plants and Katie is, is more of a houseplant person. But she propagates these plants and, and she starts these new independent plants off of clippings from plants that maybe have outgrown their pots or are so fruitful they can simply afford to like verdantly multiply. And she, she talked about there's this boring period when you're propagating plants where for a long time it looks like nothing is happening. It's because they are shooting new roots down and growing a root system that can nourish them and help them grow. It looks like nothing is happening. She said, you're, you kind of cheat and you can take this up with her if you have very uh, like established opinions on these. She said, it's kind of cheating when people grow these in water because it's exciting to get to see the roots in water. You don't get to see that in the soil. But these roots are setting up and these clippings are becoming rooted and established. This is what faith does for us. And then, uh, you know, this continued chain of things that get added on, maybe a better picture than a spiral or a chain is, and, and, and go here with me, Oak Church folks, is a tree. Imagine that. At Oak Church, we're going to use tree metaphors. Like, we start from the ground of faith, and those roots, and we, we move up, and, and faith is not so much added onto as it sprouts in maturity. It, it grows up towards the light. Things like moral excellence. To say that isn't the excellence part isn't, the, um, isn't necessarily the point. The point is that good faith promotes right action. Good faith always makes good works. The epistle of James talks about this quite a bit. And then on top of that, knowledge. And I take knowledge to be a curiosity and a wonder about God's world and also a firsthand account of Jesus' saving action and remaking it. This is the, the knowledge that comes through maturity and time. And on top of that, right in the middle, our fruit du jour, self-control, smack in the middle. And then on top of that, endurance. You can talk to Kurt Bubelow about endurance like a tree planted by the water or uh, someone that just signed up for a race two days before. Endurance is key in maintaining and growing in these virtues. And then on top of that, godliness and affection. God is love and growing more and more into Jesus-type people uh, is our goal. That makes us simultaneously more like God, but also more human. We grow into our full humanity when we become more like Jesus. And all of this culminates at the rooftop, or at the treetop, at the, the height and apex in love. Love is the fruit. So, so self-control maybe isn't just about growing fruit, but maybe self-control is more about growing up. Like faith is the root and love is the fruit. And so in the middle, the trunk, so to speak, is this difficult spiral of doing and learning and enduring. And so self-control is right in the middle. To be in control of oneself, like the word there is like to have creative power in and of oneself. To, to be in control of one, oneself is to learn how to, to weather, how to weather seasons and circumstances, not because 
being tough is a virtue, not because grit equals growth, but because deepening roots of faith will nourish us and will stabilize us, and self-control is actually a decent indicator of spirit control in our lives. So there's, there's kind of two quick case studies in self-control from Scripture. And first, ironically enough, is Peter, our letter writer himself. So flashback to a key story in Peter's life, that fateful night of Jesus' betrayal. So Jesus had just shared the meal that we're going to remember here in a little bit, the Passover feast with his disciples. And Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but thrice. Peter replies incredulously, that couldn't be me. (laughs) And then Jesus goes and seeks solitude and prayer on the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus comes back, his disciples, including Peter, are asleep on the job. They had one job, stay awake, and they couldn't do that. And then Judas comes up flanked with Roman soldiers to sell Jesus out with a kiss. Simon Peter responds, perhaps still with like sleepers in his eyes, by drawing his sword and lopping off a soldier's ear. Jesus promptly picks up the ear, I assume, reattaches it to the man's head and scolds Peter. He says, that's enough. Peter, put away your sword. This is a case study of being out of control. (laughs) Peter, Peter is out of control and often being out of control manifests itself by trying to control others sometimes by any means necessary sometimes by taking off an ear this might actually be the picture we get more often with peter in the gospel stories remember it's him sinking uh when he tries to walk on water because he takes his eyes off jesus he tries to be in control in and of himself instead of looking to jesus this is, this is uh, Peter trying to attempt, uh, uh, attempting to, to shield Jesus from suffering. He says, surely not you, Lord. And to which Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you're not in control of any of this, let alone in control of me. And, and you're trying to help, but it is not helpful. So Peter is this uh, case study in out of controlness. He's often depicted in art as having red hair and a beard. Apologies to the gingers in the audience. I grow a red beard a little bit. But maybe this is because Peter is mercurial and temper prone. Peter mostly wants to do the right thing, but always kind of gets caught up or pressed upon. Changing circumstances beyond his control impact the way his rooted faith grows to produce or not to produce love. We see ourselves in Peter a lot. Peter, after all, is the rock upon which the church is built. So often in these stories, wherever Peter is, that is where the church is. That, that can be upsetting, that can be sobering, and that can also be inspiring. Contrast this with case study number two, which is Jesus. Jesus is always the Sunday school answer. Sorry, guys. But Jesus doesn't make the same mistakes that Peter does. Even throughout the Gospels, even when when Jesus is in storytelling mode, probably a little something that they're doing downstairs in Godly Play right now, Jesus' storytelling is not even coercive. He's in control of himself, but 
somehow Jesus can be in control of himself without trying to control others. Even others that might hurt him, like Judas, or like the soldiers at the foot of the cross who mock him. Jesus' self-control not only manifests as restraint in the face of suffering, but also focus in the face of temptation and distraction. And also in an incredible rhythm of solitude and community. Jesus' self-control, we find him withdrawing, and we know that solitude isn't aloneness, that solitude for Jesus is a time and a place to be with God, definitely not alone, with the Father. But also, he draws near to others, to to those close friends, and then to, to people on the margins that encounter him, people who are hurting, people who don't know they're hurting, people who are ashamed to be with him in the daytime, like Nicodemus, who can only come to him under the cloak of darkness, and Jesus is with them. And we see Jesus um, having this sort of self-control that reminds us that self-control is not fundamentally even about ourselves. Self-control is for others. It's becoming productive, fruitful, safe people for others. Diedrich Bonhoeffer has a a quote about this sort of outward-facing self-control dynamic. And this this is uh, related to his... Um, kind of underground seminary that he created in the middle of uh, Nazi Germany in Finkenwald, uh, where he's training pastors, and and ultimately this is what got him uh, in a concentration camp and and ultimately uh, killed. And he says, every act of self-control of the Christian is also a service to the fellowship. Self-control is not about ourselves. One who returns to the Christian family fellowship after fighting the battle of the day brings with him the blessings of aloneness, but he himself receives anew the blessings of fellowship. Blessing, uh, blessed is the one who is alone in the strength of the fellowship, and blessed is the one who keeps fellowship in the strength of aloneness. So we see this, this dynamic in our self-control. This is how we grow in a self-control that is not selfish. Any measure of self-control like our self-care, our, our paying attention to our self-health, our ability to create r- healthy rhythms of, of solitude and fellowship, it all impacts our ability to grow and bear the fruit of love for those around us. Jesus' life shows us this, and it shows us that oftentimes the growth in our life is pretty hidden. There are all these instances in the Gospels where Jesus goes off to be with himself. Oftentimes, after something really amazing happens and the disciples want to keep the momentum and capitalize and keep going and going, and Jesus withdraws. And and that shows us that this growth is hidden. It's often hidden from others. Sometimes it's even hidden to ourselves how this growth works, how much movement we're creating on this spiral as we grow further up and further in. Whole seasons can seem slow or wasted. The spiral can seem static, but friends, we need to trust in this good, slow work that the Spirit is doing, this good, slow fruit that the Spirit is growing. Because if so, Peter reminds us, if all of these things, all of that list of things are yours, if all of them are growing in you, in each one of us, 
they'll keep us from becoming inactive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, will you, will you pray with me? Jesus, we give you thanks uh, for this good word, and we especially give you thanks that it comes from Peter, um, who is not someone who um, hasn't ever struggled with self-control. Uh, Lord, uh, give us the capacity to be in control of ourselves so that we are fruitful and safe and good for others, for our neighbors, for strangers, for friends, for family. May the time we spend uh, by ourselves uh, be time with you. And may the time we spend with our friends uh, be in uh, the service of growing in love. We thank you uh, for this past couple months, uh, a chance to reflect, a chance to do some searching and inventory of the ways that you are growing things in us. Um, Lord, we thank you for your spirit that grows good things still here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.